Well, g'day, my name's Andrew and I'm one of the pastors here at church and uh, if you keep that piece of paper or your Bible out, that's uh, the words of Jesus and we're going to be using those to answer our question. But whenever I um, stand up to try and explain the Bible, I always like to ask God to help. So we'll do that together now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, into the world and thank you that he taught us. We pray now that you'd help us to understand what Jesus wants us to know and we pray please that you would change us as we consider them give us clarity lord about what it is to be a christian and how to become one and i pray lord that those you would choose would uh, do that tonight or that this would be a step in a journey where you call people to be your children in jesus name amen well the last four weeks we have been looking at that question what is a christian uh, right back to the basics and tonight we've come up to the, the final one how do I become one now I don't know if you knew that that was what you're getting yourself in for maybe as you hear it now you think gee if I knew that I would have stayed away you're afraid perhaps of the hard sell the pressure well, it's right isn't it to be cautious we don't want to get sucked in but maybe you're in quite a different place actually maybe you want to be a Christian you just can't quite work out how you've seen the beauty of Jesus, his goodness, his love, his truth, his death for you to pay for your sins so that you can have forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship with God. And, and so maybe tonight you're actually hopeful, even excited to find out how to get it. And I'm quite excited actually. I think that the message of Jesus is powerful. It changes lives and we've actually been praying for you that tonight you would begin a new relationship with God, the God who made you. I'm confident, actually, that that will happen for some of you tonight. It happens all the time in our church. But, you know, most people would think that this question actually just doesn't matter. We're all trying to be spiritual in our own ways, aren't we? We're all trying to be good people. Who cares what you call it? It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong answer. But have a look what Jesus says in the, in the passage there. Um, these are the words of Jesus recorded by his disciple Matthew in the biography that he wrote. He was there and he listened as Jesus preached what is actually the most famous sermon in the history of the world. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're reading from. And it starts a few pages earlier in your Bible, chapter 5. And this bit that we're looking at is his big conclusion. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Do you hear what Jesus says there? Jesus says there's two options, two parts. Notice there's no middle option. And there is a right answer because look where the two paths lead. Did you see the two destinations? One of them is very good. Life, eternal life, all that's good in life, forever. But the other, Jesus calls it destruction. In the next paragraph, oh, sorry, Jesus says that it, it matters. In fact, he says it's so important, he, he tells it four times. There's the first one, two gates. In the next paragraph, he says there's two types of tree, verses 17 to 19. They represent two different types of teachers. There are true teachers and there are false prophets. 
Not every religious teaching is right, says Jesus. And verse 19, he says, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a very intense image that Jesus chooses. He says it matters. Then a third time, he gives an image of judgment day, verse 21 to 23, and he says, there are two types of people. One group, they enter the kingdom of heaven. The other group doesn't. And so look at verse 21 with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, Jesus says there's a right and a wrong answer. And that brings us to the fourth paragraph, verse 24 onwards, the parable of two builders who build a house. And they look the same on the outside, but they've got different foundations. And when the storm comes, one house stands. The other collapses with a great crash. What's, what's the storm? Well, the first three stories all about Judgment Day. The fourth one, same message. In the storm of Judgment Day, one group survives, the other is destroyed. Wow. Jesus. Four times. What's he doing? He's being, he's being so, well, he's being so clear, isn't he? being very intense but very clear you know there's never been a more loving or gentle person and yet when Jesus comes to the end of his message he doesn't play games as he finishes this sermon he actually gives an invitation to make a decision verse 13 he says enter come in no matter who you are no matter what you've done come in you're not automatically a Christian, you, you do actually become one. How do you become a Christian is that question. That's right, how do, you, how do you become one? Jesus says you must enter. And it's unbelievably important to him that you know there is a right and a wrong path. It really, really matters. Now, we, we did a survey last year to find out what people in our community think a Christian is. And it was fantastic to have people participate and very interesting and amazing to see the different answers that we got. Quite, a, quite an amazing number of different answers. So some people thought that a Christian is someone who believes in God. Other people thought someone who goes to church or someone who has a, a Christian background or someone who tries to be good. Some people thought a hypocrite. Some people were, I don't know. Now, I completely understand the range of answers there. Because Christianity is portrayed in all sorts of different ways by the media. And in fact, even in churches, you've got different denominations who say all different kinds of things. And that's actually why we've come back to the words of Jesus tonight. It's not about what I say. It's not about what this denomination says or that denomination says. Who cares? No, no, no. It's not about what we think. We want to go back to the very beginning, to the eyewitnesses, to the words of Jesus himself. And friends, what we find there is astonishing. And I'm afraid to say it's quite different to what almost everyone in our community would say a Christian is. As we look at what Jesus says, we'll see that a Christian is not someone who believes in God. A Christian's not someone who goes to church, and it's not even someone who tries to live a good life. And in fact, Jesus says many people who think they're Christians will be surprised when they realize that they're not. Look at verse 21 again. I think these are some of the scariest verses in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name perform, drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Can you hear the surprise in their voice? They thought that they were in. They used Jesus' name when they talked about themselves. They called themselves Christians. They even did things claiming it was for him. They even talked about him as Lord. But Jesus will say, honestly, I didn't know you. We didn't have a relationship. Never. And that tells you one of the first things that it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean living a good life. It means knowing Jesus. The problem for these people, Jesus says, I never knew you. Now, there's more to be said. But at the very least, and quite wonderfully, quite beautifully, to be a Christian means a relationship. Now, we'll we'll talk about what that relationship means and how it begins. But do you see what Jesus is saying here, what it means? It means there is such a thing as a fake Christian. I uh, bought a lawnmower on Gumtree. I bought a, what do you think I should have bought? I bought a Honda. I heard somewhere Honda makes good lawnmowers, right? So I bought a Honda. When I got it home, I realized someone had just stuck a Honda sticker on a budget knockoff lawnmower. It still cuts the grass, but... Every time I mow, I look at it and I think, what could have been? (laughs) Now, the word for this with Christians is nominal Christian. Nominal just means name. So they have the the name, the sticker, says Christian, but underneath it's not the genuine article. My friends, on the 2016 census, more than half of Australians identified as Christian. Not to mention the politicians, the celebrities, in fact, even Hitler identified as Christians, as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying they're all in the same category, necessarily. But according to Jesus, look at verse 22 again. Many, he says, aren't the real deal. Many. So what is a Christian? And how do you become one? Well, I'm going to suggest if you look at Jesus' words in this sermon... There are three parts. Now, there's lots of ways you could summarize it. Here's the way I'll summarize it for you tonight, and I'll show it to you from Jesus' words. Number one, relationship. We've seen that. Number two, repentance. And number three, reliance. We've mentioned the first one, an active relationship between you and Jesus. Secondly, repentance. Now, the word repentance is kind of a weird religious word that means change. Over and over again, you've seen in this passage, Jesus says, there are two ways you can live. And Jesus calls you, calls you to change path. Not just to try harder to do good. No, 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 a total change of direction. In fact, a change of control. Because by our nature, we like to rule our lives. We, we like to be in control. But repentance means you change that. Imogen expressed that beautifully before. You say, Jesus, you're in control. And so a Christian is someone who does what Jesus says. Now, 
I'll show you that in Jesus' words in a moment. But first, I wonder, immediately as I said that, I wonder if you had this reaction. I knew it. Those Christians, they just want to tell me I've been a bit naughty and I just need to try a bit harder and then maybe I'll get into heaven. I could see how you could think that's what I'm saying, but it's absolutely not. It's not what I'm saying. It's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you really understand it, you'll see that it's a disaster to try to get in by trying harder. That's not a gate. That's a brick wall, and we'll see why. But I wonder if some of you actually had the exact opposite reaction. If that's what it takes, who's getting in? I'm certainly not. In fact, I don't know one single person who's completely lived doing what Jesus says. Well, actually, if you're having that reaction, you're in a far better place to understand it. Because as I said, there's three parts, relationship, repentance, and reliance. That's where that part comes in. You actually rely not on yourself, but on Jesus to get you in. It's critical to understand that we, we, don't, we never rely on our repentance to make us good enough to get us in because as we're going to see, we're just not able to do it. We're not good enough. And so the Christian is the person who relies on Jesus to get in. Words for it are forgiveness, grace. Um, Dave said in his sermon this morning, it's received, not achieved. That's good, isn't it? It's received, not achieved. We don't earn it. Jesus gives it to us and it's not based one bit on how well we go. Dave also said, uh, it's not based on me, it's based on he. He's good with words, isn't he, Dave Jensen? <laughs> now, this will make sense more as we go through it. Stay with me, because it is very, very simple. But it's hard to get, because we, by nature, assume the message will be, just try harder. And until you let go of that assumption, you can't possibly understand it. Once you let go... You'll see how it works, and it's very simple. So let's go one step at a time. We've mentioned relationship. Let's dig into part two, repentance. The Christian is someone who does what Jesus says. Look at verse 24. Therefore, he's bring it all together. The two paths, the two trees, the two types of people. Therefore, what do you do? What's the right path? He says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... They're the wise man who builds their house on the rock. Who, who is it that survives Judgment Day? It's the one that listens to what Jesus says and puts it into practice. Now that's hard to do, and we'll come to that. But it's very simple to understand, isn't it? The Christian is someone who does what Jesus says. In fact, the word Christian even means little Christ. You're, you're devoted to following Jesus' teachings, and so you become a little version of him. Um, the word disciple, you might have heard that as well. It means learner. You learn from Jesus and then you put it into practice. Now, that's a very big claim that Jesus is making there, isn't it? Imagine if your mate said, Oi, you want to go to heaven? Follow my exact instructions. You'd be like, who do you think you are? Do you think you're God or something? Well, actually, that is exactly who Jesus thinks he is. Look in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So to get in, you've got to be the sort of person that lives according to God's will. But then verse 24, who is it? 
The person that lives according to the Father's will is the person who does the words of Jesus. Jesus says his words are the Father's will. Now, that's either true or it's insanity. Is that right? Someone thinks it's right. It's either true or it's insanity. There's no other option. You see, he can't just be... no. Nice, lots of people think Jesus was a nice man, a good teacher. No, you, that's not a nice thing to say unless it's true, right? He's claiming the authority of God himself. He's claiming to be the Lord. If that's not true, it's completely insane. Or worse, it's evil. So the one thing you can't think about Jesus is that he was just a nice man, a good teacher. Either he's right... He's the Lord and God. In, in that case, we have no other option except just to, to listen and obey every word. Or he's a liar and we ought to ignore him, shun him, get rid of him. And then you read what people who saw him saw and heard and you think, well, he doesn't sound like a liar. Last week we heard the most convincing piece of evidence, at least for me, the resurrection. The idea, in fact, not the idea, the historical claim, the fact that he was dead, but two days later came back to life, a miracle that proves his claim. See, imagine you're God, which is a dangerous thought, but imagine you're God, and then there's a man walking around on earth claiming that he's God, and then he dies. If he wasn't God, why on earth would you bring him back to life? The only reason that you would bring him back to life is if you wanted everyone to know that what he said is true. He is the Lord. And so last week's sermon presented some of the evidence for that. And if you missed it, it's on YouTube. Search for EB Church. Give it a listen. Or come along to life, actually. Um, we look at the evidence there uh, in more detail. It's, it's overwhelming when you look into it. That's actually my story. I'm naturally a very a doubting person, even to this day. And I didn't, look, to be honest, I didn't want Jesus to be Lord. I didn't want some book telling me what to do. Very easy to change page on an iPad. There we go, we're back. I didn't want some book telling me what to do. And as I looked into it, I couldn't escape this fact. There was a man called Jesus who walked around 2,000 years ago. Every professor of ancient history in the entire world agrees with that. He died on a cross in public view, killed by experts at killing people. So he really died. But within just a few weeks, thousands of people were worshipping him as God, saying he's alive again. And they're saying that a 15-minute walk from the place his body was buried, where the authorities who killed him because they wanted to stop it could have just got the body and said, you fools, look, he's here, he's dead. And then this is the bit that gets me. His followers begin to be put in prison and then even killed for saying, I saw him alive again. Now, that doesn't make sense to me if it's made up. We know from history, even outside of the Bible, that they didn't get rich and they didn't get power. They got killed. One by one. What did they have to gain from, from making it up? But they didn't stop saying it. We saw him rise from the dead. Who, who dies for something that they've made up? In fact, how many of your friends dying would it take before you went, mm, bad idea, let's stop? The conclusion that I and, and 
lots of us here have come to is that they really believed what they were saying. They really saw with their own eyes a man who had been dead, now alive again. So that was last week. And so what does Jesus' resurrection have to do with Christianity? We saw last week everything. It shows that this life is not all there is because he survives death. There's something after death. Death's not the end. There's a judgment day. It shows that miracles can happen, which means God is real. But most of all, it shows that Jesus is who he says he is. He's not a lunatic. He's not a liar. He's the Lord, the God who made you. Which means he's the ruler, the one with the right to say, you are to live according to my words. So how do you become a Christian? Number one, you begin a relationship with Jesus by, number two, repentance. Which means basically this, you just come to terms with that reality. Jesus is Lord. You let it drop like a bomb in your life and just rearrange everything. Now, I keep using the word repentance. Let me explain a bit more what it means. It means change, a change of mind and a change of heart that then changes how you live your life. Now, we repent in all sorts of little everyday ways. Going on a diet is is kind of like repentance. But I'll give you a better example. Uh, It's from a book I'm reading called The Seven Habits. Anyone read it? Great book. Not a Christian book. Lots of good things in it, though. He says, I was sitting one Sunday morning on a subway train in New York, and people were sitting peacefully, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought. It was a calm, quiet, peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children enter the subway car. The children were so loud and rowdy that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth. They were throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was, it was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was very difficult not to feel irritated. I couldn't believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and not do anything about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else was feeling irritated as well. And so finally, I turned to him and I said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder, couldn't you control them a little more? And the man looked up and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I just don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw the whole thing differently. And because I saw it differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Oh, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. There you go. There's an example of repentance. Now, it's obviously not Christian repentance because there's nothing about Jesus in there. But do you see what happened? He understood the, the reality of what was going on differently. 
And so his entire perspective changed. What it meant was he actually changed his heart. He realized that everything that he'd done up to that point had been a disaster. And he began to act completely differently. Now, he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have said, mm, that's tough, mate, but you've got to control your kids. That would be unrepentance, a refusal to change his mind, instead to, to harden his heart and just to continue on in the same actions. You see, repentance is a choice. Will I face reality? Will I change my mind and my heart? And so act differently from now on. When it comes to Jesus, repentance means you face reality. He is the Lord, my Lord, which means you change your heart towards him. Up till this point, even if you knew he was the Lord in your heart, you said no. In your heart, you said, I'll be Lord, or my family is Lord, or my friend's opinion of me is Lord. For me, my story, it was myself. I wanted to be Lord. I wanted to be in charge. I knew he was the Lord. I just didn't want him to be my Lord. And so for me to repent was to change my heart towards him. Okay, I'm not Lord. You're Lord. And usually this comes with a feeling of being sorry because you realize that everything you've done up to that point has been wrong. Just like the man on the train, you see it from a new perspective and, and he realized his actions had been foolish, inconsiderate, out of step, destructive, selfish, wrong. So when you repent with Jesus, it means you realize that the, the way you've lived up to this point has actually been a denial of reality, actually an act of rebellion against the ruler. The Bible's language is sin. And so you commit yourself to living differently and your actions change. Not because you're just trying harder. If you, if you just try harder to be good, but you haven't changed who's in control, you haven't repented. You're still Lord. Repentance is far deeper than that. You actually hand over control and say, okay, Jesus, I'll do what you say. That's repentance. And so a question you might have if you're new to all this is, okay, then, well, what does he say? What am I signing up for? Now, at one level, it doesn't matter, does it? Either he's Lord or he's not. And if he is, well, find out what he says and do it. And I should say, actually, at a big picture level, do you think that the man who loves you enough to die for you wants to then take your life and trash it? No, 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 you can trust him. Actually, far more than you can trust any other Lord, your desires, your friends' opinions. Are they really more trustworthy than Jesus? But Jesus actually does say in another place, yes, count the cost. See what's involved before you sign up. And so let's just have a quick look at some of the things he says. Now, don't worry. It is a big book. We're not going to get through everything tonight. Um, in fact, that's just what we do as a church. Um, we, we just work our way slowly and we aim to finish at a time that means you can still watch the tennis. Who's going to win? Yeah. Really? Okay. Controversial. Um, for now, how good's Barty last night? Anyway, <laughs> got to celebrate. How good's that? Um, for now, but we're not going to go through it all, but let me just point out a few things in this sermon that Jesus is giving here, the Sermon on the Mount. And as we go, notice that it's actually a really, really good way to live. It's not easy, but it's good. It's beautiful. And notice as well, it's an impossibly high standard. Two things to notice. 
And that'll actually drive us to our third point, reliance, where we'll see why it's not just a message of try harder and you might make it in. So what does he teach? Well, one of his big messages is a new way of living, a way full of truth and love. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for goodness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He calls for a life of righteousness, of goodness, of mercy, of purity, of peacemaking. And that's not just your actions, it's your thoughts and desires as well. In fact, look at verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. If you didn't know, that, that's not a good thing. Jesus then says in verse 22, and check out how he does this. He doesn't say, but the Bible says, or other people say, he says, I tell you. Again, that claim to absolute authority. I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that's a term of um, contempt and insult, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, not many of us have committed murder, I'm, I'm sure, but Jesus says you can actually be murderous inside. Selfish anger boiling away in the way you think about people, the words you use, you fool, none of that's loving. That's a high bar, isn't it, for the way you should think about other people? Have you ever crossed that? I have. A few verses later, he says, uh, verse 27, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There'd be no need for the Me Too movement if people followed this teaching. Not only would there be no destructive affairs and cheating, there just wouldn't be any objectification of the other sex at all, not even in our minds. Jesus says complete sexual purity, right down to your thoughts, right down to your desires, right down to what you do on the internet or the beach. Verse 37, he says, utter truthfulness, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, all of these things, how do they all fit together? They all come down to love. Have a look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's easy to love those who love you, but Jesus says, don't just love the people that it's easy to love. Even love your enemies. And not just think warm fuzzy thoughts about them no no no. in other parts of this sermon he says practical things like turn the other cheek go the extra mile give them the shirt off your back now pause there there's a sample of some of the things he says what do you think it's a very 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 good way to live can you imagine a community that lived like this where you can trust people because people always tell the truth where they don't take advantage of each other because they love each other, where they help those in need. It'd be beautiful. It'd be heaven. Actually, it, it will be heaven. Heaven will be like that. But heaven's a while away. But it actually can begin in our life now. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's good. 
We don't have time to go into it now, but in recent years, lots and lots of research from the field of psychology has actually validated these exact teachings. Well, Jesus has been saying it for a while now. But did you notice as well, as well as being a good way to live, it's an impossibly high standard. Who can hear any of those things and think, I mean, I can do it. If you think that, try it. Read chapters 5, 6, and 7, and then just try to do it for one single day. I've not done it for one single day of my entire life. No one on this planet has except one. And so this is actually a crucial place to come to. Because only then do you give up on what most Australians think Christianity is. Most Aussies think Christianity is try harder, and you might make it in. But do you see the problem? No matter how hard you try... You just can't do it. And Jesus wants you to see that. He even says it this way at the end of chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard, not because God is mean, but because God is good. So good that he can't stand evil. Now, I used to use an illustration of this with youth group, and it's a bit crude. But I used to hold up a cup of water. And I'd ask, how much poo would you be okay with in this cup? Would you drink it if maybe it was mostly water? Just a little bit of poo. The reason the illustration works is, it's gross, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But it works because we are so used to evil We underestimate what a perfect God thinks of it. We think as long as we're mostly good, mostly water. But God is so perfect that it's like he's allergic to even the smallest trace of sin. Oftentimes we assume that the question is, will I accept Jesus? Actually the question is, will Jesus accept me? And that's the starting point to understand the third part of being a Christian. Relationship, repentance, reliance. You rely on, not me, you rely on Jesus to get you in, to save you, to forgive you. See, there's one other theme from this sermon that runs all the way through that I haven't shown you yet, and it's this. If you want to enter heaven, ask Jesus, and he'll get you in. If you want forgiveness, ask Jesus, he'll just give it to you. Let me show you, right before the passage we read, we probably should have printed it out, but Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 to 9, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you see what he doesn't say? He doesn't say try harder, earn it, you might get in. No, 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 you don't earn it by, sorry, you don't get in by earning it. You don't get in by being good enough. He says, what? He says, ask. My three-year-old thinks she can swim. She's close, but she, she can't. If you're watching, you're doing very well. But you can't swim yet. What she does not need 
is to try harder. That would be a tragedy. What she needs is someone to grab her. My dad has taught her to put her hand up and say, help. That's one of Jesus' big goals as he teaches us his standards. His goal is for you to see the standards so you can realize I'm underwater. I can't do it. Help. And so in this sermon, Jesus teaches us in chapter 4, Matthew 6, verse 12, he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, another word for sin, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus says, when you pray, ask for forgiveness. And he says, everyone who asks receives. And so you ask him. And then you rely on him to do it. You say, forgive me. And he says, I have. Hang on. But I thought we said you need to commit to doing what he says. Yeah, you do. He's the Lord. You can't ignore that fact. You can't hide from reality. But I can't do it. I know. That's why he's not just the Lord. He's the Savior. And so when you fail, which you will, you ask him to forgive you. And that is what gets you into heaven, not your repentance. It's his forgiveness that makes it possible for you and God to be in a relationship, not your good deeds. He's not just Lord, he's Savior as well. In fact, the writer Matthew has been telling us this from the start. Chapter 1, right back at the beginning, he says Jesus' parents were told this, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In fact, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Jesus Christ means Savior, King. And so every time the word Jesus is mentioned, it tells us the answer to our problem. He saves. He saves. He saves. And two weeks ago, we saw how he does it. We saw what his death has to do with being a Christian. We saw that his death was the price that he paid to take away our sins. He paid the punishment that we deserved. Our sins were put onto him and he died instead of us. And because he paid the price, we don't have to. He bought us forgiveness. And so if you come to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, he takes away your sins past, present and future. How? What does he say? Ask. Everyone who asks receives. If you knock, the door will be opened. You rely on Jesus, not yourself. And he does it. So let's put those pieces together. What's a Christian and how do you become one? Well, it's a relationship with Jesus that you enter through repentance and reliance. You repent. You change your mind and your heart and your actions. You decide to become a person who does what Jesus says. Not perfectly, but that's what you're committed to do. Just like he says in our passage, you become a person who hears these words of his and put them into practice. But you know you won't do it perfectly and so you also rely. You don't rely on yourself to earn your way to God. You rely on Jesus to save you and so you ask him to forgive you. And you rely on his death to take away your sins. That's what a Christian is. And that tells you how you become one. A great way to do it is to follow Jesus' exact words. He says ask and so a great way to do it is to do that, to ask. In other words, you pray. In fact, because it's a relationship, you're actually going to become a person who prays a fair bit. 
He wants that. He wants to hear from you. And so you'll listen to him in the words of the Bible and then he will listen to you as you pray. Now, some of you, as you've listened to this, you've realized that is exactly what I want to do. In fact, I want to do it tonight. And so in a moment, I'll I'll offer some words that you can use to express that to God. And some of you might want to do that and become a Christian this very night. But I also want to acknowledge this is a very big thing. And so for some of you, you want to think about it more. That's appropriate. This isn't the kind of thing to just do on one night and then forget about it. This will change the course of your whole life. In fact, it'll change the control of your whole life. And so if that's you, can I encourage you to to make sure you get along to the Life Series? There's no better way to uh, to continue to consider what a Christian is and whether you want to be one. If Jesus in this passage is to be believed, then nothing that you do this year will be more important than sorting that out. But Jesus says actually that there are going to be many people who actually say no. He says it's a narrow road. It's hard. If you choose it, you will always be in the minority. It's not the path of following what everyone thinks, what's popular opinion. But Jesus says you'll find life eternal life so let me finish with this as i've thought about this week i can't help but think the question is not which road do i like best but where do i want to go you know you're stuck at a train station and two trains turn up and you've got to choose one one of them is dingy it's small it's uncomfortable it's slow the other one it's new clean spacious comfortable which train would you get on well where are they going if one's going towards a a bushfire doesn't matter how comfortable it is get off if the other one's going to a byron bay resort who cares how gross the ride is there's a very very crude analogy But that's what Jesus is doing, isn't it, as he finishes up this sermon? He's just using analogies four times, saying, you've got to choose. Look at the implications. There's only two ways. Look where they go. Do you want to find life? Tonight, begin a relationship by repenting and relying. And Jesus says, you'll bear good fruit. You'll be the wise person whose house has good foundations that doesn't collapse on judgment day security ultimate security and the reason is because you'll have faced reality you'll have found in fact at the core of reality a person the greatest person who's ever lived the one who loves you so much that he died for you who wants a relationship with you that's what a christian is and so let me ask is that what you want to be on the screen some words have come up have a read of those words and if you do want to make that decision, no pressure here. The last thing we want to do is pressure you. you need to, this has to come from you. But if these express what you would like to say to God, then in a moment I'm going to pray them and I'm going to pause after each section and give you a chance to echo them in your heart to God. Have a read. I might get everyone to to bow your heads. And if you'd like to pray those words, just echo them after me in your heart.
Dear Lord Jesus, I would like to begin a relationship with you. I repent. I'm sorry I haven't lived your way. I commit to doing what you say from now on. And I rely on you for forgiveness. I know I can never be good enough. Thank you for dying to take away my sins. Please forgive me and be my Lord and Saviour. Thank you. Amen. Well, I'm finished up here, but uh, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to let us know you've done that. We would love to, to help you. We'd love to be able to support you and encourage you. And in fact, even if you didn't do that, but you want to talk to someone or maybe find out more about life, on a seat near you, there's one of these uh, cards. Can I get you guys to take two minutes? And in fact, um, regardless of, of where you are, if you've been around here for a long time, maybe if you can grab one as well and fill it out so that no one feels self-conscious. Um, I'll give you a minute or two to quickly fill that out. Um, and uh, you can pop them in boxes at the back. Uh, and um, on, yeah, and the band will come up while you're doing that. If you're online, I think you can go to the website and click Next Steps. Yeah, there you go. Well, the Bible says whenever a person turns back to him, God celebrates and angels celebrate. And we actually as a church are people who celebrate. And so we'd love to celebrate that with you. Thanks for letting us know if you filled out that card. But the rest of us, in fact, all of us, we're going to stand up. And if you're um, someone who does call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're going to celebrate what he's done for us. And we trust maybe for some people first time tonight. So why don't you stand up? I'll hand over to the band.